We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey everyone, this is Andy Means of Rotor Grinders. Thanks for checking out my new pod called Mean Streets. I'm going to be talking with some of my friends, former teammates from Duke, talking about some of our most interesting stories and experiences. In this first episode, I got my buddy Reggie Love, former teammate at Duke and perhaps better known for being the body man and personal assistant for former President Barack Obama. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the eloquent and always entertaining Reggie Love. All right, welcome everybody to the first uh, pod I got going here. Um, my first guest, you might know him as a former basketball and football player Duke, an ACC champion, an NCAA champion, the body man to former president Barack Obama. I know him as the guy who brought a beer pong table into my wedding reception while someone was giving a toast. Everybody, welcome Reggie Love to the pod. <laughs> It's still one of the best weddings that I've been to right now. I'm like always like quoting how good the means wedding was, not just because of the beer pong, but you know, location, people in attendance, small intimate gathering and uh, you know, the table helps. Yeah. So what we did was uh, for those interested, we had like a small, a small gathering at like a destination wedding, just like closest to family and friends that can make the trip. And it was in Lake Tahoe and just kind of like a, I don't know, a two or three day party. And we had uh, said, everybody give us like 15 minutes for the ceremony. And then we went back to party and said, 
And my wife, Megan, gave the okay for Reggie to go get a beer pong table. So everyone loved that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what's going on with you, man? We're, uh, I started this up kind of as an idea to try to get some content out there. No sports. It's a weird time. So, like, how are you treating the coronavirus and everything? Are you on social distancing? What are you doing? I know you said you might be hitting the golf course this morning, but rain stopped you. So, uh, you going out by yourself or forcing? What's going on, man? Look, I, I would play with anyone who has clubs and can get to the course uh it's tough man i haven't turned my tv on in like three days uh because every time i look at it i'm like what am i gonna watch and then i keep thinking to myself well oh yeah netflix i could totally go to netflix right now but then you know netflix is just it's hard to get into like show binging right now you know it's one thing to turn on a game to watch the, the highlights or the recaps or the last quarter for, you know, an hour, half an hour. It's another thing to get into a, a 48 hour marathon of television shows. Man, we just did the, uh, the love is blind on Netflix. Have you heard about that or seen that yet? No, but I'm writing it down though. How was it? I mean, it was all right. Like I enjoyed the social experiment of it. Like they, they get a bunch of guys and girls, they stay in separate, you know, separate quarters and they put them in pods and they like date in pods. So you can't see anybody. So you only, you only get to uh, know who you like want to be with based on your conversations with them and nothing on physical appearance. So like, I enjoyed that aspect of it, but then they kind of put like a, uh, they, then they tried to make it TV like bachelor because they said, well, you have to propose to someone, you have to get married within four weeks. So like that, they put like a timetable on it we're kind of rushed up, but I appreciated the social experiment of it. Cause like, that is a good idea for people to get to try to find a mate. Right. Yeah. Until we realize how shallow we actually are, <laughs> which you, you will see if you will see if you see uh, that show, it comes out quick. Um, yeah. So, I mean, your story uh, is one of the more interesting ones. Like you're two sport athlete to do obviously go on tour for uh, president Obama. Um, and like, I kind of just wanted to go through all of that as we talk here today, because it's, it seriously is one of the more interesting stories. And I've like been a part of it and, you know, a lot of different steps and kind of been seeing it from a distance on other stuff. So, I mean, I'll start with just, I like talking to my friends or just like other athletes about this. Cause I'm so curious, like how, like your prep, your prep career was and how like the sports were, where you were like, you went to Providence day in Charlotte, right? Yeah. The Chargers. Yeah. And basketball. Yeah, there you go. Basketball and football there. So like what, like what level was that school? Like when I was in, in Indy, we were like one, a up to five, a five, a being the biggest. So like, what was your, what was your school? Like size? Well, I mean, in terms of size, we graduate, uh, I think my graduating class was like 90 people. And I think today, uh, if you, the graduating class will be roughly 130. So oh, yeah, wow. it's pretty small. Yeah really, yeah. really, really small. I mean, hard to field a football team, you know, it's like, you got 25, 30 kids, and everyone plays off the Did you go – were you both sides? Teams. Yeah, both sides, and I played on, like, three or four special teams. There you go. So, like, uh, as far as um, – like, I want to I want to talk a little more basketball, obviously, because that's what I'm um, more uh, versed, well-versed in. So, like, I want to give – we always talk about this, too. Like, not even just basketball, but, like, we use this for other aspects of life, uh, beer pong, dating, other stuff. Like, I want to – give me your scouting report on you as a basketball player, and then I want you to give your scouting report on me as a basketball player. Oh, look, man. Uh, <laughs> so, look, uh, if I'm guard – if I had to guard myself, you know, I'd say, look, I'm going to make him uh, – I'm going to make him hit shots uh, from beyond the arc. And, but once he's hit a couple – 
you know, then I'm probably going to try to force him to the mid-range. Don't want him to get all the way to the basket. Want to make him shoot over me. And if uh, – look, and if, if for the Andy Means scouting report, it's like, look, man, make him put on the ball – make him put the ball on the floor with the left hand, you know? <laughs> and then make him get all the way to the basket and finish with his left hand. That's completely accurate. And, for, and I'm going to throw in a little – a small little part uh, for your scouting report. I think you might have the biggest gap between um, someone who – how good they think they are as a shooter and what they actually are as a shooter. <laughs> I would say that you only know me in the world of Duke, man. I had a very, my, you know, the, I, it was a rigid structure when you, when you play Duke basketball and you're a walk-on, man. You just can't go take any shot you want to take. That's even true. when you're confident that you can make it. Um, but, like, you, last, last time I hung out with you, I saw you in D.C., I think last year for the uh, – I saw you for our season-long draft uh, in August, but we'll get to that later. But I saw you the last year about this time. I was in D.C. for the Duke games when, you know, Zion and them were out there. And I swear you wake up like you are – and by the way, the, Reggie is a guy who no matter what you do the night before, he's up at like five and already has a workout in. Like I'm slowly rolling out of bed. Reggie walks in like sweaty. He's like, it means my Jay's feeling good today. We got to go home. My Jay's feeling good. It's like, it can't be feeling that good. You can't shoot. <laughs> Look, man, you got to – you. Ask Duhan. So, so Duhan and I played in West Virginia uh, at Huntington a couple, uh, like a year and a half ago. And if you, he did not want to admit it, but what he did say, he was like, you know what, man, your jumper kind of looks like uh, pre-college football, like before I like got all the weight on. Like, you know, I was a shooter in high school, man. When Wojo came, when Wojo and Coach K came to one of my games, Providence Day played Durham Academy. I made I was six to seven from three. Now wow. Wojo will Wojo will also say that he's still never seen me shoot that well ever again in life. <laughs> is that what is that what got you on the team that night? <laughs> that game. <laughs> you know, I think I, I think uh, uh, it definitely had something to do with it. Yeah, because I was, that was I was actually going to ask you that because like. Our experiences were a little different because, if I, if I'm correct, you got scholarship to for football first. But like, how what was the what was the deciding factor, the prominent factor? Like, were you for sure going to play football at Duke on scholarship, and then basketball was a maybe, an afterthought, or something you don't worth considering, or was it like basketball first, and then the football thing just worked out because you were good at that too? How'd that work out? I don't even know the answer to that, and I know you pretty well. Yeah, no. So I. I... So I got a lot of football scholarship offers when I was a sophomore in high school. And so in my junior year, I basically, at the end of my junior year, before my senior year, a lot of people were like, oh, senior year, they're going to take five visits and they're going to figure out. Before I started my football season, uh, my senior year, I wanted to figure out where I was going to go to school. Um, and so I went and I talked to all the coaches that summer before. So Wake Forest, Carolina, UVA, Duke, um, and basically my, my, my general principle was I wanted to go someplace that was close enough for my parents to be able to not show up whenever they wanted to, but could sure. show up to like watch me play or watch the sure. games. My dad and I are like super close. Like my, my dad is like one of my best friends. And so I kind of narrowed it down to those schools. And then when I went to visit those schools and I talked to the coaches, the football coaches, I said to them, I said, you know, look, I'd love for the opportunity to play basketball. And the only school that said that if you could play basketball was Duke. And I think Carl Franks was the coach at the time, probably felt like 
I think I think his exact words were like, "If you're good enough to play big basketball, like I won't stop you." Yeah. Uh, kind of thinking that you know, not many people are good enough to play Duke basketball yeah. that are also football players. So I think uh, it might have been a little bit of a, a coup on my part uh, to have figured that out. And so uh, I sent my my tape over to Johnny Dawkins, like a game against, I played against Oak Hill just to kind of show that like, look, you know, we played against like good talent. And, yeah. you know, like I, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm competent. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so uh, when football season ended, I, you know, reached out to the, to Johnny and said, hey, look, what do you think? Uh, he said, well, why don't you take the, the Thanksgiving break off? And then when Thanksgiving's over, you, you should come out and play. And so yeah. – um, and, and that was the story. And so – and for me, I wasn't really ready to give up basketball, even though, um, you know, I was a, a, a much – uh, more recruited football player than I was for basketball. I think basketball is like one of the things that gives, gave me a lot of joy, still gives me a lot of joy. And that's why I get yeah. up in the mornings and there's <laughs> nothing like going out to compete, man. And, you know, uh, I think uh, hoops is like one of those games where it doesn't matter like how big you are. It doesn't matter like where you grew up. It doesn't matter what your parents do. You know, you just roll the ball out there, and you know the only thing that matters is what happens on the court. Um, yeah, so. and it doesn't matter like how many people there are. It doesn't matter if you know the people. Like you can grab a game as long as there's a hoop and a, a ball. You can you can go work on your game by yourself or go play with nineteen people or go play with nine people you don't know. So it's, that's that's yeah. what I love about them. It's funny that you yeah. mentioned that. Like it's I don't even know if I've ever told you this story though, because like we're kind of intertwined in a way because we we're we're in the same class. So, but I didn't play freshman year, so. When I – my story was uh, David Henderson, who was the assistant, um, I think, if I recall, like he didn't – he took a job with Delaware in between, like right before our freshman year started, I believe, right? Right. Because uh, right. he called me and said, we have, a, uh, you know, the, the two freshmen we have recruited, Chris Duan and Andres, we have a, a third bed available in the triple room they have, and we'd like you to, um, to live with those guys and we'll give you a shot to make the team. And so when I come out there, it's like, there's no guarantees for me. Like I come out there, uh, I had to get in, I had to get admitted first, which was a struggle. Uh, I get, <laughs> I get admitted. And so I'm living with them and like right away, like, all right, you got, you start working out with everybody. And so I'm asking around, like they're coming off a really good year, uh, the year before, but like everybody's coming back. I think they have with including walk-ons. I think there are like 13 or 14 dudes. And then there's all these rumors going around like, Oh yeah. And two, like we got two, two football players that are, almost certainly going to walk on two. One of them is Reggie Love. And I was like, man, so I'm starting doing the numbers here. And I'm like, I don't think that there's room for me here. So like I, I, and I, and I worked out a week with everybody and I was like, holy shit. Like if I don't, if I don't make the mile under six minutes, I have to make everyone else run it again. I was like freaking out. Like I, I didn't think I was mentally and physically like ready to do that. So I just went and told Wojo, I was like, Hey man, I appreciate the offer, but like, I just, I'm just going to be a student this year and we'll revisit it next year when, when maybe I'm already. And I was like, I didn't even think I was going to make it because guys like you were coming over. Um, but yeah, so well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think it was a, uh, cause so Shane's little brother, Jeremy, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember Jeremy. He was the other one I was thinking, yeah, he was the other one I was referencing. You and him, everyone's like, oh, yeah, they're going to come over when football's done. I mean, Jeremy was like a, a stellar athlete, man. Uh, yeah. And, and, and look, I think, I think there, were still, there were a lot of people. That, that team was a big team because Matt Christensen, mm -hmm. Nick Horvath. There were, there were five – was it five, five, five sophomores in that class? Nick Horvath, Carlos Boozer, Andre Sweet, Jason Williams, 
Mike oh, no, Sweet was, Sweet was our year, our freshman year. Oh, Andre Buckner. Yeah, Buckner, yeah. There was like five or six dudes in that class, yeah. It was a big class. Yeah, we, and they had like three walk-ons already. They had JD, they had – I think Borman was come, was already there, yeah. and they had the callbacks. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make this team. Yeah. Yeah, callback. You had you had Ryan callback, Andy Borman, and JD Simpson. Yeah. Three walk-ons already, yeah. So, see, now I'm feeling better about not just quitting after one week. Um, so, like, tell me about that, though, because, like, playing two sports. So, you you, you said, like, Thanksgiving break. They said – I'm trying to, like, think out loud, like, where that puts us at that, that actual basketball season. That's, like, right around the end of semester and, like, right around, like, getting some non-conference games. I don't think we – we did yeah, have ACC Big Hawaii. Ten back they then. Went to Ho- they went to Hawaii. Yeah. They went to uh, the Maui Classic. Yeah. So like how so like how was that even did you even like were you even able to work on your basketball game during football season like go to the Wilson yeah. Center get some hooping in or what? <laughs> so I used to get I used to get in trouble all the time because you had to cart in. Remember you had your uh-huh. card, yeah. So you'd have to cart in, and like that was the way uh, the football coaches knew whether or not you ate breakfast. They would go and they'd look at your cart yeah. to see like where you swiped it at. Like talk about Big Brother. But I, <laughs> my coach was like. My position coach would be like, "Yeah, man, I saw you like swiped in the card. I mean, to 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 Brody. I, I saw you swiped into Brody Gymnasium at at 9 p.m. And I was like, Yeah, <laughs> I was just like going to like get some J's up. Uh, but then I would like laugh about it and be like, No, I was just like stretching. <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> they didn't want you to risk injury, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I I would say that my conditioning was decent." Uh, because of football, I like definitely wasn't in basketball shape. And in terms of just like the skills, I mean, like I think skill-wise, I mean that that team, that 2001 team, was so talented. My skills were definitely behind. Like ball handling was behind, shooting was behind. I just like, like you know, the game is like super competitive, and so you know, I tried to do whatever I could to keep up. But like, you don't really like. I, I know for a fact that my my skill level didn't really evolve the way it should have evolved until my fifth year when I only played basketball. Sure. Like, and now, mo- yeah. I was going to say, I want to talk about that too, but I want to talk about that. You're, the irony of all this is that you say your skill level wasn't really evolving, but they relied like on you big time in their turn in their championship run in, in 01 because uh, booze went out with a broken foot. And I think, I mean, you can speak more of this because you're obviously in the locker room and, and you can say what coach said, but they coach basically said, we're just going to, run as fast as we can and chuck threes and reggie you're gonna did they they was it starting you or starting casey sanders yeah, um, what, what, yeah give us a rundown of what coach said yeah i mean basically what we did was we changed the style of play and instead of like playing big ball we went to like small ball and you know ultimately the the theory was that we were gonna wear people out because we were in better shape uh we were gonna get good looks and on offense early offense because we were going to beat defenses down the floor and we were going to rotate we were basically going to play you know everyone was going to play a man and a half so reggie you might be guarding brendan haywood but like you know that shane's got a half a man and duhan's got a half a man on shane's man and sure we were going to rotate in a way that basically didn't give uh the offense teams you know an advantage against us um, and so I would argue that coach would say we play in four, we were playing in four minute sprints, 
right? Mm-hmm. To every every TV timeout. So until the until we got to the TV timeout, we were just like sprinting and like running. And the idea was that, you know, we had more depth and we had a lot of talent and we were gonna, you know, if you look at teams like Carolina, they were good, but they played six guys. You look at teams like Maryland, they were good, they played seven guys. And when we were at our best, we had uh, uh, we had three, four guys coming off the bench to 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 keep that to keep that energy going. Yeah, I mean that was. I mean, I remember I was on campus, obviously, and like everyone, basically, when the news came out that Booz broke his foot, that was basically the sky has fallen. I think the first game maybe was also against UNC at UNC, and yeah, and you guys went out and drug them by like twenty, right? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> And and uh, and, uh, and Shane made one of the, the the most beautiful blocks against Forte. Oh yeah, I still see it. That's one of my favorite blocks because like you don't even know that he blocked it, and like the on the live action, then you see the slow mo, and he just barely grazes the ball behind him, and he like looks like he hangs Forte hangs himself on a dunk. Yeah, uh, it, it it was. I mean, I remember the day Coach K came into the locker room after we'd lost to Maryland and Boozer broken his foot. He had he hadn't slept. I mean, his like his eyes were like bloodshot. His hair was like all over the place, and he basically said, and, and I kid you not, and he said that day, he said, if you don't think that we're gonna win a national championship, you should like get out of the locker room, but not exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, and, and as we all know, it went on to uh, he he was right because he basically said you guys are gonna do it, and you went on and did it. So I uh, do want to talk a little bit about your fifth year though, because. I forget exactly how, how all that works. Was that one of the – because I, I know at a certain point, like, Greg Paulus could go transfer to another school and play a different sport. Like, how did the yeah. fifth year work? And, like, you had a, a really, really important role that year. I mean, I'm pretty sure they even let you shoot some mid-rangers that year, you know? <laughs> I shot some jumpers that year. I, I think I, yeah, because that, that was a year after I, I graduated, so I wasn't around yeah. for that. So I want to I hear, I wanna hear how, they, how in the hell they let you shoot some jumpers that year. Um, so – so basically that year I got picked up. So the fall of 2005, I spent um, like a couple of months in Green Bay, summer, early fall uh, with the Packers, got cut. Uh, Duke that year was supposed to have Luol Deng, Sean Livingston. Chris and, Humphreys. Uh, and Chris Humphreys. But because of a transfer, one guy goes to the league early. One guy doesn't come to college at all. Um, and, uh, and basically the class below us was Daniel Ewing's class and he was the only kid in the class. Yeah. And so you just were like super light with like, uh, with, with, with people. Uh, and so Dawkins calls me after he sees I get cut by green Bay and like some people like wait around, like see if they get picked up to go on a practice squad or wait for injuries. And, you know, and ironically enough, Green Bay had like two injuries: Javon Walker and uh, uh, and uh, Robert Ferguson both got hurt while I was back in school playing. I had I had no idea. I didn't know that. I wanted to talk to you about that, obviously, and I want you to finish. But like, I had no idea that was in between. Uh, I thought you just did the NFL thing after your fifth year. I had no idea it was in between. That's crazy to me. Yeah. So I so I literally I leave Green Bay. I get cut. And I'm like trying to decide like what I do. And I was actually joking around with D Scott and I was saying like, man, I should go like transfer to Elon and like, <laughs> I can go get buckets at Elon right now. <laughs> That's great. Um, and, yeah. So and, like, the, it, 
Two minutes later, my phone rang, and it was Johnny Dawkins. <laughs> saying, That's crazy. Hey, uh, so yeah, so uh, that year we uh, we were so Shav Shav Randolph got hurt, and I ended up uh, starting that year for Shav as the four. So me, yeah. Sheldon, she- me, Sheldon, JJ, D Ewing, and uh, was it Demarcus? Yeah, Demarcus uh, Nelson. We'll see you the next year. No, it was uh, I think Doc Doc reacts. Doc, that, that, yeah, it was Doc. Yeah, yeah, Doc. Sorry, yeah. So like I don't did you know that uh you know I stayed down in, in Durham like a, a I don't know a month or two after I graduated and when they're going through all that injury stuff Shroggy Mike Shroggy who's who was the director of basketball operations at the time at Duke um, did you know he he brought up to me he's like maybe you should uh, come back for another year of means I was like Shroggy I am so so far gone I already picked up some weight I had surgery we could we could have played together. <laughs> again again oh, like we i wouldn't have got i wouldn't have got ticked like you yeah shiragi asked me and i could i think he was serious but i was like shiragi i'm so so far checked out from anything basketball now man there's no I, way i i think we had six scholarship six or seven scholarship players yeah. a year i mean like, i wanted to talk to you about blue team anyways i could have come back for another year but we expect my my our sophomore year like with my first year that was when shane had left but we saw jay will booze dunleavy yeah, we, lost we gave them some runs. We gave them some runs in practice, man. Our blue team, we had we had a pretty good, we had a pretty good squad there. Me, you, like I think Horvath, like Jerry Buck, like we did all right against them. B team bombers, man. That that was yeah. a, that was a good. It was a good blue team, man. Uh, it, it was, um, you know, it, it was pretty certain. Anytime that our blue team got to run a two three high motion. The white team was going to get kicked out of practice. <laughs> well, that's one thing we could do with some back doors. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, like, uh, I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about you because you mentioned it. You're, you know, you're trying to make the NFL, and again, I had no idea that was in the middle of you coming back. Because did you try a little after too? And like, I'm pretty. You said they made you. They tried to put you into a linebacker. Like, didn't Parcells try to make you a linebacker? The following year, so we lose to Michigan State in the NCAA tournament in March, the first week of April, I'm in Dallas, uh, playing, uh, putting on weight to become an outside linebacker for the Cowboys. Jeez. And so I I got up to like 250, 255 almost, man, which is like so unhealthy. Uh, now that I really think about it, but (laughs) you know, at the time there was a dream about being a pro, right? Like it was like to be a pro was like the most amazing thing. And, And what I soon learned was that the economics, of being a pro and playing defense were like really not very good. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so by the time I like did the math and figured out like how much damage I would cause to my body and how many snaps I would have to play and never have to work again, I kind of came up to the conclusion that like, I was really glad that I took this accounting class in college <laughs> because I I realized that the lifetime value of like being a professional football player as an outside linebacker is like really, really low. And if you looked at like our classmates that year that were like working at like Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or whatever, they were all making, you know, like a hundred, 150,000. They're going to make a couple hundred thousand in bonus and they were going to do it for 30 years. Right. And so the average NFL career was three and a half years at the time. And, you know, and like the money was like, okay, it was good. Right. Um, for someone who's 22, 23 at the time, um, but not something that would sustain you over a lifetime. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like you're kind of ahead of your time there, dude. Like, I don't think many people in, what was that, 2005 were exactly thinking of it like that. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe that maybe I should have been more in love with it, right? Maybe it should have been less of a calculation. Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, if if you don't if you don't love it, there's I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, playing now that don't love it, but they're doing the calculation, and it does make sense for them to keep doing it. So, like, did you take it up? Like, did did you call pull the plug on everything, or did you take it up to cuts, or what? So, I mean, he basically – so, at the end of the year in, with Dallas, uh, Parcells was like, look, I want you to go to NFL Europe so you can get more snaps and then mm-hmm. come back here the following year, right? But I was like, no, there's no contract. That had, like, signed, like, a one-year deal. So, this is all, like – you know, this is all, like, you're doing these things with the, the idea that people are going to make good on their word. And I generally – like, my body just, like, hurt. And I was like, I can't, like, go to Europe, play another season, and then come back here with, like, a month break and then, like, be, like, in competition to, like, make the roster again, right? Yeah. I was going to make – it, like – like, physically, I was like, I don't think my body can, like, do it. Yeah. Um, and even though I kind of wish I did go to Germany to play for the – was it the rain? It would have been fun. I've never lived abroad. I, I remember I was actually uh, in D.C. I'd taken this job in D.C., and the coach from the uh, uh, NFL Europe team calls me and it was like, hey, man, we got your paperwork done. Like, send us your passport. We want you to come, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, you know, on my cell, cell phone in my little, like, suit and tie working in, like, Obama's, like, Senate office. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to make it to Germany. I'm like, I'm in D.C. and, like, I'm doing a thing. And I don't know that, you know – uh, NFL Europe's like in the cards for me this year and uh, the coach was kind of like he was like stunned by it a little bit uh, well as I was gonna say that's like a kind of a good transition into the obvious next topic though like so you're sitting you got a job and I think it was with the Obama Senate campaign and like did you know at that time like that what it was going to become at all so like, I remember coming out to visit you there I think it was 06 and you like showed me your office and what you're doing and at no time did I think it was going to like get to the point it did that you're going to go as far up to what you do with this campaign. So like, did you know at the time when you said yeah. no to the, to the European or what? No, I didn't. I, I think like for me, I thought I would go to DC for a couple of months and then go to New York and maybe like do yeah. like the whole like in banking world. And when I got to DC, I really, I fell in love with it because what I really sort of understood and uh, early on was that like what happens in DC has such an impact on on the lives of so many people. Like, I think we're seeing that today when you look at the spread of this virus, like like what real leadership can do and, and what kind of effect it can have on American people uh, when people decide that they wanna, you know, uh, work in public service. And so I was like a big believer that, you know, Barack Obama really believed in trying to like make a difference for the country. I and mean, it was less about trying to be a U.S. Senator. Like, he didn't love the idea of being an elected official. He loved yeah. the idea of, of looking at systematic problems and figuring out ways to solve for them. Um, and, and my general assumption was, like, now is the time in my life if I want to make an impact, if I want to make a difference. Like, this is an opportunity for me to, to, to go and, and, and to serve and to, and to work on causes that help people believe that their voice matters, right? I think yeah. – a part of the challenge is a lot of people think that the only thing that really matters in DC is like, you know, how much money you have, what school you went to, all of these things that oftentimes can be, you know, a disconnect uh, from, from the average American. And so, you know, I felt like here was a great opportunity to 
to be in that world and to work on things that are meaningful and to work at getting people to believe in that their voice matters and that voting matters and the political process matters and that uh, ultimately we as a country are always like iterating and always like trying to be like better versions of ourselves. Yeah, sure. So, so how does it go from you just getting a, you know, an entry level, what I assume was like somewhat of an entry level job on a Senate campaign to, to yeah. just becoming like his right hand man and doing everything so, for him throughout the day like this? Did you, did you, uh, did you even like meet him early on or how does that go? So I, so when I was working in the Senate office, um, I was like a staff assistant. So staff assistant is basically like one level above intern. Um, sure. And uh, and what happened was Pete Rouse, who was the chief of staff, actually had said, you know, we have a problem in the mailroom. Um, like Barack Obama had been getting mail sent to the U.S. Senate before he was ever sworn in. He gave a great speech uh, in, um, in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention. He wasn't sworn in until 2005. But between 2004 and 2005, uh, people were sending him letters to the U.S. Senate. And so this is now 2006. And we've now found all this like stack, this like these like piles of mail that have been like stowed away in some office in the Dirksen, Dirksen building. And so I came up with a process to basically uh, answer mail faster. Um, so I, I came up with like the first digitized mail pro digitized mailing process. So we would like take all the physical, uh, written letters and we would like digitize them. We'd turn them into PDFs and then we put them on a share file and then we'd use like word search to help like organize what how people were, what people were writing about. Mm -hmm. And then we would put them out to the legislative correspondence so that they could get them more quickly. And so what used to take, you know, almost like four weeks to get like a, a letter responded to, we would turn around in a week. And so Pete Rouse, who was the chief of staff, really believed in constituent services. He believed that mail and responding to, to constituents was what helped keep you elected. And so he thought that I basically turned water into wine. And so <laughs> it was like I digitized the mail process and we started doing podcasts and I like created a Facebook page. Yeah. And we did, we went to a web-based uh, database uh, with NGP, um, just like a bunch of like in, uninteresting things that, you know. That are impactful. <laughs> that were impactful. And I just yeah. like said, look, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And like in, in doing it, I'll even uh, come up with ways to make the thing that's important to you even more effective. Yeah. And so, uh, um, so I, so I, I remember, um, I remember the document that I put together, which was during 2006, the Democrats won back the Senate from the Republicans. And Barack Obama was like really critical in this. Um, he flew all over the country campaigning for Debbie Stabenow, uh, Claire McCaskill, Ben Cardin, uh, Bob Menendez, uh, uh, Senator Webb, who's no longer in the, the U.S. Senate anymore, but like he was like all over the country campaigning for Democrats to help win back the Senate. And part of what we did is that every place that we went, we would like track down the list of attendees. So we were like, we would build up our database. And so like I put together like this document that shows all the money he raised all over the country for other candidates and all the people that attended the events. And it was like, you know, he'd raised almost like $10 million for like other people. Mm -hmm. 
And then I was like, uh, I was like, I don't know, this might be something. This guy played me pretty <laughs> So, so how did that, how did that go from like you making all those like doing all those tiny things added up to a bunch of stuff and obviously impressing the people you work for? Like, how does that go from you them just saying, "Hey, why don't you yeah. become yeah. his uh, personal so, assistant?" So Pete, so Pete, w- Pete Rouse, who was the chief of staff at the time, everyone kind of knew what they wanted to do on the campaign. People were like, "I want to be press secretary. I want to be speechwriter. I want to run. I want to go to Iowa. I want to be state director." Everyone kind of knew what they wanted to do, and I didn't really know. And so I kind of said to Pete, I said, Pete, you tell me what you think I'll be good at. I'll go do it. And if I'm not very good at it, don't fire me. Just move me to another position. (laughs) No filter, uh, Reggie, of everybody. There you go. (laughs) And then uh, he was like, well, why don't you go on the road and like take care of stuff, you know, for the for the candidate. And at that point in time, that job was a body guy and I had no idea what it was. Uh, I had kind of had lunch. Uh, I had reached out to the guy, Marvin Nicholson, who was the body guy for John Kerry in the 04 campaign, uh, and kind of like tried to understand like what the role was. But ultimately, um, I think that like b- being someone's like personal aid uh, is a, it's, it's a combination of a, a sequence of errors uh, when, and just making sure you don't make the same mistakes twice. Yeah. And then, and then there's a little bit of, of Stockholm syndrome, right? Like, cause ultimately like you spend so much time with the person, like, even though like they may not like you or you're like, they, you don't like them or they're making you do stuff you don't want to do. You start to like identify with your capture. Right. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, over time, uh, uh, just because we spent so much time together campaigning and, and then, you know, the basketball, like he loved hoops. And so, you know, when the polls were down and when the news was bad, you could always like turn on ESPN and like get like a decent reprieve. And everyone kind of thinks about like, oh, well, everyone knew Barack Obama was going to be president. But like, you know, when you look back to the summer of, uh, of 2007, spring and summer of 2007, it wasn't that certain, right? It was yeah. like, it was like most likely not going to be president. Like who's this like funny name, brown guy from you know, from Illinois, who's barely been a U.S. Senator that thinks he's going to be president of the United States. Uh, And so, um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, I think campaigning is sort of like, is like, uh, I compare it to preseason basketball uh, because ultimately, you know, you don't really play any games. All you do is like a lot of conditioning and (laughs) yelled at a bunch. Uh, (laughs) And then finally, like, the season comes and you're like, Oh wait, that's what that was all for. Yeah. Except the campaign is like much longer than preseason. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause like, I know you, you, the stuff with that, um, you know, the basketball games that you guys have, that stuff's been written about, you know, at nauseum. I'm not going to like ask you about that, but come on, man, you, funny. you can write about them yourself. You played in a couple. That's what I was going to say. Cause I, in, uh, it was in one and anybody who watches my shows, uh, on rotor grinders knows that, because we just had a, our annual uh, annual company party in Nashville, and it took, like, twisting of the arms to get me to play in that basketball game, man. We had a pickup basketball game. I just don't play. Like, I literally – ever since I graduated Duke, I just do not like playing pickup basketball anymore. And we are all – a bunch of us, like, we're, uh, us Duke guys were in Chicago for – it was over all-star break because Chris was there too and a couple other guys, and, and um, uh, President Obama was there, and, he, and you were like – I think it was the day before because I certainly didn't come. I, did, I certainly didn't have my basketball shoes there. You're like, hey, we're all getting a run in tomorrow with uh, with Obama, so um, you, you need to go. You need to come play. And I was like, 
okay, well, I need to assess this. Let's see. Am I ever going to have this opportunity again in my entire life? Most likely not, so I should probably do it. I can to go play this game. And we stayed out to like 3 o'clock the night before. <laughs> I wake up at like, you say, yeah, we got to be out of here at like 7, let's say 7 or something. I have a pounding headache. I don't have shoes. I think we, uh, our, our um, mutual friend Daryl, I think Daryl and I had the same shoes. He happened to bring two pairs. And we're, I have to do background checks, and we have to – you drive, take us out to where we're going to play. There's, like, two courts going. And, man, the, I, I mean, I play pretty well, but that's one of the rare occurrences you're going to get me on a court. I mean, I remember uh, Obama was saying to me, he says, that, that Andy guy shot the ball, shoots the ball pretty well, huh? That's right. I hit, like, three in a row, and then I probably quit after that. I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to go on top of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, that yeah, was so fun, it, man. I, we, it was. The superstitious thing was, like, it was like any time it was like an election day someplace in the world where people were voting on whether or not they were going to vote for Barack Obama, we would go play basketball. Yeah. It was like a real thing, you know? Um, yeah, I'm sure a good stress relief, if anything else, too, and then it became like a good luck charm maybe a little bit. I think it's a little good luck charm. And, you know, like on, on, on election days, there's not a lot you can do uh, campaigning-wise, right? You can do like some get-out-the-vote stuff, but ultimately you need people to show up to the polls, so you can't really like host events. So yeah. the day is like you do a little press, you do a little media reminding people that today is like election day. But the, the rest of the day, it's like a lot of like uh, hurry up and wait and see, right? To see like what exit polls are and see if lines are long and, you know, what your precinct captains are saying or like how, how many people are showing up at certain locations that are critical. Um, so, yeah, so uh, it, it is a little bit of a stress reliever to kind of take your mind off of off of those um, things that are really out of your control at that point in time on election day. Yeah. I, so I got to ask then. So like, it sounds like you had, that's like one of the best jobs you can have. You're basically hanging out with the president every day of your life. So like, and you actually left in the middle of, I believe was it his second term, right? So like what, what was behind your reasoning to leave? And I think you, you went back to Wharton business school. So what was your reasoning to do that in the middle of his term? Uh, look, so basically it was the middle of, it was, so what happened was the campaign started much sooner for the reelection than what I expected. And so my thought was like, I would get through my first two terms of business school, which were, which were also happened to be um, the core classes. And I thought I could get through those and then kind of move into the electeds when the campaign uh, would sort of pick up. And gotcha. so you had already started when you were still in that role. You had already started at business school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and so basically Republicans were like teeing off on Obama and the state of the country. And obviously when you don't have a campaign up and running, you can't like go on the offensive and like run sure. your own ads. And so the calculation was we were going to start our campaign earlier so that we could better control and better fight the narrative with actual media buys versus just depending on earned media to, to control the narrative. And so that then put us like four months or five months ahead of what the plan, what I thought the plan was. And so, and I, and so I went to Penn and Penn, you know, is like a pretty difficult school. It's very quantitative. And I hadn't like taken like a math course since the stats class that I'd taken uh, <laughs> like my sophomore year of college. And so like grad school was hard and I struggled in the, with grad school. And so I was already two semesters or two, I was like in the middle of the second semester and I, I kind of felt like I didn't want to 
uh, do poorly in school. And, and in Penn, they got this thing called the lowest 10%, where, like, if you, like, finish in the lowest 10% for mm-hmm. a certain portion of the class, they, like, kick you out of the program. Like, I did not know that. Like, That's some pressure right there. Oh, real pressure. Like, especially when the program is like $180,000, you are like, <laughs> <laughs> like real game pressure. Yeah. It's like more pressure than like making a free throw in Cameron. <laughs> no kidding. Jeez. Uh, so yeah, so that was sort of my, my calculation was like, I should graduate from this program and not fail yes. out. That's, and, I feel like that's a pretty good calculation, Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and I guess the, the lesson learned was, like, read the small print. Like, you should find out what an LT is before you get three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, that – I mean, so what's that turned into you, like, post-politics uh, – or not post-politics, but post-working for Obama? It's like, I, you know, I see you – most of our social interactions revolve around, like, like, a, like Duke games. Like, we, you came down to India a bunch when there was Final Fours down there, and be like, and you, you'd come over, we'd hang out, have dinner. You're like, yeah, I got I to gotta go. I got a speaking engagement. So, like – what all are you getting your hands into now? I know you do some of that. Um, I know you uh, dealt with Vice some. So, like, what what do you have your hands in now that you're doing these days? So, when I left, uh, when I graduated business school, I joined a small little financial holding company called Transatlantic, which really was focused on uh, making minority investments into medium-sized companies that were looking to grow their businesses into new geographies. So, we look at it as sort of like capital for cross-border development. Um, and that was focused really like in energy, financial services, and beer in the in logistics sector, right? And so I was there for for almost six years, and then um, uh, about a month and a half ago, I just uh, became the head of external affairs for uh, for Josh Harris, uh, his personal uh, for his family office and his private equity shop. So Josh is the co-founder of Apollo and he's also the managing partner for the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils and the, uh, and the Crystal Palace um, EPL team. Um, and so I, I do a lot of uh, work for him sort of looking at how to uh, help optimize how those organizations uh, work uh, in parallel with one another and also with the medium and long-term planning of his strategic vision. That's cool, man. Yeah, you always had your hands in a bunch of different, bunch of different yeah. things. I can't even. Sometimes, like my, I talk to my dad. And my dad, like, what's Reggie doing these days? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I really just and, don't know. He's doing so many different yeah. things. And then I wrote a book called Power Forward um, about sort of lessons learned from my dad, Barack Obama, and Coach K. I wrote that in in 2014, uh, which it did pretty well. It was a New York Times bestseller, which I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed like taking the time to write it. Um, because it really sort of made me reflect on the things that I'd learned along the journey. I'm also a board member. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Teamworks, but Teamworks is sort of the leading uh, player engagement platform. Uh, They've got about 400 and something customers uh, across professional sports, NCAA, and they help with uh, travel, messaging, document transferring, all like sort of communications tools that you know we used to when we, you and I played we had like a uh, a bulletin board and like Wojo would like po- post the schedule on the bulletin board. Sure. And now like all that stuff digital and all lives like uh, in an app like Teamworks and so uh, 
you know, it's the, it's the, it's the bulletin board on the phone is what we like to call it. Uh, That's pretty so cool. I saw you, yeah, I saw you tweeting about that and I was, I wanted to look at a little bit more of that. So like basically every player has an iPad and they get all their stuff in there basically. Is that? Yeah, it's an iPad, iPhone. It's on Android as well. It started by Zach Maridis. I think you may remember Zach from Duke. Duke, uh, yeah. he, he played football there, graduated in yeah. 07. Um, and so he founded that company about six years ago and you know, they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty impressive company. So I've been an investor and board member there for about three years now. That's pretty cool, man. Um, I got a few more questions for, you. I know your, your time short here. So I just got a few small things I want to ask you. We got a bunch of fantasy player, fantasy sports players that listen, that should, are going to be listening to this and that, you know, absorb my content in Roto Grinder. So I get, do you play any daily fantasy sports? I know you're, you're one of the nine, uh, nine other guys in the only season long football league. I still do, but do you play any daily fantasy sports ever? FanDuel or DraftKings, anything? I do every now and then, but I'm usually like – I'm always like – I'm like usually the guy that's like feeding the pool to like make other people money. <laughs> we call those fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, if I'm in your pool, then like you should be smiling. You should be like <laughs> pot just got a little bigger. So should I, should, should I not tell everyone that you drafted a quarterback in the first two rounds of one of our recent uh, uh, season-long leagues, yeah, or should I not so, tell people that? Or? Just to be clear, just to be clear, the strategy worked – you did win that ago. year, didn't you? <laughs> but, like, I think that what happened, there were so many good quarterbacks this year. The year that – there were – there were this year, there were, like, a lot of great quarterbacks. And no one was really ever willing to trade – make me a good trade. So, you're trying to – you're trying to hoard them and, like, and uh, get some un- unfair trades is basically what you're trying to do. That's what I – and it worked the year before. That's how I got uh, – who was the running back from the Steelers that was uh, good that year? Uh, what, Le'Veon Bell that year? Yeah, Le'Veon Bell. That's how I got, yeah. I got Le'Veon Bell because he was, like, he was out for a couple of games and, like, I think Duhon needed a quarterback and there were no quarterbacks available. But now it's like – I mean, the way the game is right now, like, I mean, there, this season there were, there, were, there were 15 quarterbacks that could have gotten you 20 points a week yeah. last year. Yeah, I mean – our, uh, I, won't, I won't employ that strategy next year. Buddy. <laughs> Our season-long league at this point is basically an excuse to all hang out for a weekend and get drunk together. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we go bowling. Yes. Oh, man, I, we, we, I should have dropped that in earlier in the show like that because I, that was one of the things I remember from the, uh, the, the, bat, the time I played basketball with you and President Obama was we were at like 10 pin that night, and there was – I mean, there was all sorts of money being thrown around on uh, side bets, on picking up spares, <laughs> on highest score in the game. Like, there's a bunch of people kept filtering in to, like, hang out with us. And, like, what are these guys doing? There's, like, four different pots of, like, $20, $20 bills uh, just for someone yeah. picking up, like, a, a, a spare. It's, it's nuts, man. Yeah. That's a lot, a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of competing. No yeah, that's what we did. That, uh, that competition ever died with us. <laughs> that's right, man. That's what we we try to find anything we can these days, except for me and actually playing basketball. Um, dude, I really appreciate you hopping on here. It, like, it means a lot to me, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy hearing some of your besides of some of your stories that maybe you haven't told to many people. So I, uh, yeah. I appreciate it, man. I hope you're doing no, well, man. Well, 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 good luck with everything, man. I think what you and you guys are doing at Roto Grounders is cool, man. Uh, and I think uh, as we go through what I like to predict as, you know, the, the next dark ages, uh, you guys are going to have a great opportunity to, to keep us engaged and interested and entertained uh, while we wait for, uh, 
while we wait for uh, the rest of the world to resurface. No kidding. I hope this is good. People might have to listen to it twice because they're going to be so bored at home. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'll be talking right. to you soon, all right? All right. Sorry, all right, thanks, man. All right, later, brother. Thanks again to Reggie Love for coming on and to you for giving us a listen. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and help get the word out as we've got some more great guests coming soon. Everybody stay safe out there, and we will be back soon with the next episode of Mean Streets.